Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Scott Schur. He is the Director of Integrative Hyperbaric Medicine and Health Optimization at Hyperbaric Medical Solutions. In this role, he facilitates protocol development, patient engagement, and outreach efforts in the world of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. He's also the independent provider of Integrative HBOT, who runs a worldwide education, consulting, and advocacy telemedicine practice. He's one of the few HBOT medical professionals in the country who develops personalized treatment plans for patients, which include all sorts of cool stuff. (laughs) Uh, This, we go deep into HBOT, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. The... the For those of you uh, who are with me, the first time I ever heard about hyperbaric oxygen chambers was when um, Michael Jackson was like sleeping in them at night. (laughs) And I I heard that as a kid and I thought it was bananas that him and Madonna were sleeping in hyperbaric oxygen chambers. And so I actually brought that up with Dr. Cher. Uh, fascinating episode. What what do they do? What does a hyperbaric oxygen chamber do? Um, It creates new blood vessels, new stem cells, uh, regenerates tissues and cells, oxygenates the body, it decreases inflammation. Um, It's also been used for stroke and heart attack recovery. There has been just recently, as recently as like um, this, the last few months, there was an Israeli study that really like pinpointed specifically why hyperbaric oxygen therapy works for longevity. It actually... uh, reverses age because it lengthens telomeres and so we talk all about that study i mean there's literally something that you can go like hang out in and it will make you younger that's what we're talking about here just to like explain it like a third grader um a couple of quotes from from the episode if you give the body what it needs the body can heal itself it can optimize itself if you have a self Uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy creates oxidative stress in a therapeutic way that completely shifts our epigenetics, that optimizes our physiology. I've never done an uh, an HBOT episode before, and Dr. Schur is like the go-to guy kind of in the world um, as far as like using it in a clinical and practical way. Uh, He's a really interesting dude. Um, uh, Apparently, we have some other things in common that we found out afterwards, but this is a really cool episode because we should know what these tools are available to us. Now, you're, you're, it's expensive. So if you're, um, if you're a person of means, you, you should look into this. Um, for other people, you should be working with an, an expert to, to take a look at this. He gives the example of like, if you had your arm, like nearly chopped all the way off in a car accident, um, if they put it back together, you would want to go directly into a hyperbaric oxygen chamber because the, the likelihood of it healing faster uh, and more completely is a lot higher. He talks about some of these war stories working uh, and watching people be wheeled into uh, hyperbaric chambers 
uh, when he was doing his rounds and seeing people like walk out on their own. Just like incredible, incredible results from HBOT. Um, fascinating episode. I'm super excited to bring it to you. Um, this is two this week. I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Scott Schur. This episode of the OPP is brought to you by the X3 Bar. The X3 Bar is my favorite piece of exercise equipment. It is bar none my most favorite thing for fitness, and it's fast and it's easy. This is the biohacker's dream. 10 minutes a day, six days a week, and your physique will dramatically change. Based on great science that shows that we're much stronger at our strongest range of motion. Uh, we've ca- uh, Dr. John Jaquish, who's been on the podcast three times, has capitalized on this and has created this elegant, expedited workout system, and it works. It works like crazy. You can go to x3bar.com, and when you purchase the X3 system, you'll get $50 off if you use the code OPP. What you get is the X3 Elite Bar, the ground plate, and the custom-engineered resistance bands up to 600 pounds. In addition, you'll also get a 12-week X3 workout program. We're all at home. We're not going to the gym anymore, and this is the at-home system that everybody needs. It is phenomenal. You can go to X3 Bar. You can look at some of the before and afters. Um, you can check out my before and afters if you look uh, look at mine on, on Instagram. Uh, incredible, incredible product, and I'm so pleased to uh, to be able to promote this thing because I use it, and a ton of you have purchased it already, and a lot of my friends and family, it's changed their life too. So go to x3bar.com and use the code OPP for $50 off. <laughs> and we're here with Dr. Scott Schur, board-certified internal medical physician and specialist in hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Dr. Schur, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Hey, Sean. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's always awkward to do like the, we're chatting for a few minutes. It's like, no way. Okay, put you uh, in five, four, and do the thing. It's like, oh, Jesus. Any flow we had is now gone, but <laughs> we'll bring it back. And then completely like screw you up as soon as you're trying to start. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, uh, Dr. Sure, I've been, I've been, you know, sort of casually observing your work for a long time and um, really enjoyed your Instagram, uh, your, the, the, the studies that you publish, your appearances, you're you're into so many cool things. I mean, the, the the different organizations that you work with and 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 run are are super impressive. But I am going to start with the very first question that I ask everybody, which mm-hmm. is, what time is it where you are, and what have you put into your body? Mm, this morning. So that's a good question. So it's ten twenty five a.m. this morning here in sunny California. The North Bay, actually not North Bay, I'm the South Bay. Technically today I'm in San Jose. I'm at a hyperbaric facility here where I do consultations. This morning I was woken up by my daughter at earlier than I anticipated time. (laughs) She was singing to me and doing something with, I have some guitar picks next to my bed in like this little, uh, little container. She was taking all the picks out and she was like putting them on my blanket and singing to me about some sort of song. So that's how my day started. And nice. then I made breakfast for my kids and I made coffee for my wife because I always make coffee for her. She enjoys that. And then I got into my car. I did a 10 minute meditation. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And I came here. Now what I had, what I actually ingested this morning is I have a bit of a cocktail of things that I take in the morning from like a supplement green sort of drink thing. 
that I do. It has some of the vitamins that I need, some of the minerals that I need, some of the adaptogens that I that help me, and all that concoction together. That was that was what I had this morning. <laughs> can 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 you uh, can you parse that out? We'd lo- I'd love to hear what's in it. Sure. I, I mean, so I take things that I need as a result of the lab work that I've done that tells me what I've measured and what I require. So this is something that I, I harp on a lot is that most people in the biohacking space and the optimal performance space will just take things that they hear about from the, the cool guys and the cool women that they, learn, that they learn from online or on Instagram, on podcasts or whatever. The ethos of what I do as a health optimization medicine practitioner, something that Dr. Ted, one of your former podcast guests, uh, was the pioneer in and I work as the chief operating officer of our nonprofit, but I have my own personal practice of it too, is is really the the idea of, of shifting things towards more of a health perspective. And at the same time, as you're doing that, you're really looking at this sort of foundational principles. And one of them is what's called metabolomics. And that's looking at vitamin, mineral, nutrient levels, metabolites that we can measure from the environment outside and the environment inside. And so what I've done over the years is I've measured my metabolomic levels of various vitamins, minerals, nutrients, antioxidants, et cetera, and then I take what I need as a result of that. So, and then some of it is in addition to that, things like adaptogens, for example, which are not necessarily things you can measure because they just adapt your body to help do the various things like immune system function and brain function and things like that, neurotropic kind of function, things like that too. So my stack in the morning is a combination of some of those adaptogens, so adaptogen herbs, some that are more on the nootropic side, more some are more on sort of like the ashwagandha, rhodiola sort of... Um, immune support side of things and mood support type of things. And then I take some supplements that are related to the, the health optimization medicine uh, lab work that I've done to myself, things like uh, uh, something that has like a, a complex B vitamin, something that I have vitamin D. What else did I take this morning? Uh, I took I took my DHA and pregnenolone because I also hormone optimize myself and taking some adrenal glandular, uh, taking some... Stinging nettle, actually, uh, as well, because of a certain high level of a hormone binding agent in the, that binds testosterone. Uh, what else? Those are the things I could think of off the top of my mm-hmm. head. There's others, but that's that's some ideas. And then I, I kind of mix it all together and some adapt. And I also put in some like green powder, some vegetable green powder with some of the other kinds of major greens that are helpful. And then I, I just shake it up. I drink that with all my supplements and that's my morning drink typically. Nice, nice. What what you're talking about there is something that that does sort of carry over from the interview with uh, with Dr. Achikoso, which mm-hmm. is you shouldn't just take a whole bunch of different things. You shouldn't take 60 things because it's cool to take because Eleutherio is hot right now or because, you know, whatever. But what you should mm-hmm. be doing and what we what we all um, would benefit from is to understand what it is that we lack. What are we dealing with? Um, right. What nutrients do we do actually require for the type of you know performance that we want? Can you um, can you talk a little bit more about that? We're going to get into all sorts of other cool you know hyperbaric oxygen and and cool. stuff too. But I would really love to hear kind of your view of uh, the specificity in which is now available to each of us to understand mm-hmm. our biology and then you know take preventative measures. So what I would say is that. I've come a long way on some level, but also kind of circled back to the beginning in in some ways because I grew up the son of a chiropractor and my background was one where nothing was measured 
but everything was understanding that the body had this amazing ability to heal itself. All it needed was the tools to do it. So in that context, in my father's context, it was always, uh, it was always using the body as a way to sort of transform the physiology through chiropractic adjustment. But he wasn't just a chiropractor that just adjusted people. He was also changing their diet, changing their behavior, their exercise, their lifestyle. So this is stuff that I kind of grew up understanding in some sort of non-conscious or I guess subconscious way because I was, I was young at the time. And then when I went to medical school, the idea was really to understand how you could bridge the, the gap, this major chasm really between conventional medicine and alternative medicine. And that's how I got involved in hyperbaric medicine initially. But how it all sort of evolved from that was understanding that hyperbaric therapy wasn't enough and it wasn't really available to most people either. So I had to find a way I felt that could really become a foundation to my concierge integrated practice. And that really became a more data-driven understanding, something that Dr. Ted pioneered as we discussed. But circling back in the way of understanding that if you give the body what it needs, the body can heal itself, it can optimize itself, it can really be at its best self. If you have a self, that's another question in self, but you know. <laughs> But anyway, so but our best avatar, let's say, um, because um, <laughs> I have to be careful with what I say, because I know somebody's <laughs> going to be listening and saying, no, you don't have a self scout. Yeah. Anyway. So um, anyway, so your best avatar possible, right, for this world, for this life, this dimension or whatever. And so that's how health optimization medicine became the framework of my practice is because I realized that if you balance people's vitamins, minerals, nutrients, if you balance their gut, if you balance their hormones, if you optimize their sleep, their circadian rhythms, understood their evolutionary biology and evolutionary medicine, you understood how the toxins in their environments were interacting with them both in their homes and also outside of their homes in the things that they were wearing, the things that they were using, et cetera, that you could really create this amazing foundation for people. And then you can use any other, any other technology that you want on top of that. We call it the foundation of biohacking for a reason. Biont hacking, actually, is mm. the, and Dr. Ted is actually the father of biont hacking, is what we like to say, just like Dave is the father of biohacking. And the biont part is called the holobiont. That's the idea that we're made of all these things from the environment, all these things inside of us, all interacting together, bacteria, fungus, virus, human, uh, magnetism, light, all of it, that's the holobiont. And so, so we're sort of like the biont hackers, if you want to call us that. Hmm. And so that but we're doing it in a very methodical, in a very uh, data-driven way so that I can t go, wake up in the morning and know what I need to take. Now, can you take some extra stuff like adaptogens and other shit? Sure. But at least you knew what you needed and that's what you were starting with or that was kind of your ground, your base, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. So one example, obviously blood work informs mm -hmm. those decisions. Mm -hmm. um, what other sorts of tests or biometric, you know, tracking devices can we can we sort of look to, to get the cue to make those those custom uh, changes? So there's a lot you can get from blood, of course, uh, there's also urine studies doing things from urine and doing things from stool as well doing gut microbiota testing is hugely important. But it done on its own is a bit tricky because you're just getting a three-day sample, maybe a one-day sample, maybe even like a small, like little sample of stool. So our stool changes from the beginning of your shit to the end of your shit, it's going to change as far as what the bacterial and viral and fungal 
microbiome is going to show you. It's going to change if you go on a plane, if people still go on those <laughs> anymore. Hopefully yeah. soon again. If Hopefully. even Or depending on how much you slept. If you slept less versus you slept more, your gut microbiota is going to change. So it's important always to take it in context. I think what's challenging now with a lot of the gut testing is that they try to give you all your answers just from gut testing. But you can't, mm. I don't feel, do that because, number one, it's not just about the gut microbiota. It's also by under, about understanding gut metabolites like short-chain fatty acids and, 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 and signs of maldigestion and signs of, I mean, obviously pathogens and, and bacterial overgrowth as well is important. But the metabolic balance and things like that is really important. At the same time, looking at things like urine metabolites of gut microbiota are really important. And that's why you can use urine to kind of substantiate or make more robust your plans for gut microbiota management, for example. Hmm. And then also, if you're not looking at uh, like food intolerances and things that you might be sensitive to, although there is some controversy here, uh, my sense of it and our sense of it in general as a company is that you're, if you're still eating foods that you're sensitive to that, that are causing gut inflammation, it's like whatever you do to your gut to try to heal it is not going to work. Hmm. So you have to really be doing these things in conjunction. You can't just be doing them in isolation. And I think that's challenging for people because they just want to do one thing that's going to change everything. And the one pill, the one exercise, right. the one meditation practice, the one glass of water that's going to be the best glass of water that you've ever tasted in your world, it's, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And so I think biohackers understand this, that it's about like optimizing biology and it's not going to be one thing that does it, but they kind of don't understand it too, right? They're like, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the shiny new object syndrome. Like, oh, where's the squirrel? There's a squirrel there. There's a squirrel here. Ooh, look. <laughs> yeah. Like, look, that shiny object here. Oh, I can do that biohack. I can do this one. But like, if you're not working on that foundation of it, like you're eventually going to get yourself into trouble because a lot of this, these biohacks that we use, if they're not sort of more on the mindful meditation side are going to be clocking the system in some way. Even red light will clock the system in some way if you're not optimizing that foundational cellular energy production ability. And that's mm -hmm. why I, I emphasize this to everybody. I mean, can, in some ways there's hormetic stress in the sense that like some things that cause oxidation can help the body build back faster or better. We know that with like exercise and sauna and cold and, and hyperbaric oxygen therapy. But only so much hormetic stress is tolerable depending on your foundational uh, health, really. If your foundational health isn't there, there's only so much hormetic stress that you can handle. And so when you're 20 and when you're 30, probably cool. But when you're 40 and when you're 50 and when you're 60, ah, mm. <laughs> something's going to start breaking if you're not looking at some of that foundational stuff. So yeah. my evolution circled back to understanding that the body can heal itself, but understanding also that there are ways to, to measure. And when you can measure, you can optimize on that foundational level. And then add on top of that, you know, various types of biohacking and other types of things that can help augment your foundation and optimize. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, on that note, um, what's your what's your favorite sort of biometric tracking? You don't have to say a specific device, but you know, is should we? Is it blood glucose? Is it heart rate variability? Like uh, they're all they're all fun, but which which of you which to you if you think is the most relevant? I think the relevance depending really depends on the person. So is as a clinician uh, who sees patients, I have to think about what's going to be the most relevant for the people that are in front of me. In general, you pick the two that I like the most actually mm -hmm. is the continuous glucose monitor and HRV training. It depends on how people are really doing in the sense of like, where are they starting from? Where are they going? 
if they've already been in the biohacking world for a while, they may not need the continuous glucose monitor, but I bet they need, I bet they could probably benefit from HRV training. It's not something that's easy for people to do. It's not a pill. It's not a practice that's active. It's a passive sort of practice. So it ends up being that what most people will do is the active stuff first and then eventually realize they need to kind of slow the fuck down and like find ways to relax. Mm -hmm. And so that's when HRV is really helpful. So a lot of people in the, in the biohacking and optimal performance world are also very type A. And right. so as a result of that, I tend to avoid doing a lot of tracking right away. And the reason for that is that it can get overwhelming very quickly. As you likely know, what's the average that somebody uses a wearable? I think it's like five days or hmm. seven days, and then they throw it away or don't use it. It's like in their in their drawer, and they don't see it for, for like months. And they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot I have to use that. So right. like the average that people use wearables is like ridiculously small. It's like, it's like amazingly short periods of time. So I try to avoid those, especially because a lot of the work that I do um, in the health optimization framework is doing, you know, vitamins, minerals, nutrients, and dietary changes, which are a lot for people to do. And so adding yeah. more on there can be a lot for people. But also, I mean, if people are kind of reticent to change their diet, I think the biggest, uh, the biggest thing you can do is help them wear a continuous glucose monitor for a couple of weeks just to see their spikes. Yeah. And like, why am I tired in the afternoon? Or like, why do I go to bed and I can't go to sleep? And, and I mean, it's amazing. You can see how this correlates many of the times to your blood glucose. And so that could be very, very helpful, especially when people are reticent to do some changes or like, like I had a friend of mine who I'm working with. He's like, I don't want to, I like my bread in the morning. It's like the sourdough. It's like, it's great. It's like, you know, it's got no preservatives, but, but he's like, but I'm, you know, but I'm hungry a couple hours later. I'm like, yeah, because of this. And you can see this with a monitor if yeah. you want. And he's like, God, oh, that'd be super interesting. And so I think it depends. For me, uh, I would say that my favorite monitor is probably H the thing I use the most is HRV probably. Hmm. So, and I like, um, I like heart rate variability because it, it really does. Uh, and I don't use it as much as I used to, because I used to use it a lot and now I don't use it as much because I kind of know, you know, where I'm at, where I am and kind of how I feel. And so I think the evolution should be away from tracking in, in general yeah. and sort of more in just feeling right? right. Instead of tracking feeling, but that takes yeah. some initial tracking and understanding how you feel with these various things. I say, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and I did a two part, uh, show with um uh, dr casey means one of the co-founders of levels health and uh, yeah. uh josh clementi and you know the 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 concept of interoception came up really early in the conversation which is you know it's it's great to track it's, it's great to know what that glass of red wine at 9 p.m is doing to you but mm -hmm. what's more important, what's more sustainable, what's going to be beneficial to you in the longer run is to understand like when you have that piece of sourdough in the morning that you, it feels good for a bit. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. by, by 10 AM, you're starting to get hangry again. Mm -hmm. And then that's mm -hmm. when changes can happen. It's like, okay, well maybe, maybe I ought to skip breakfast altogether or, you know, switch to, you know, a piece, you know, a couple pieces of bacon instead of the sourdough. Right. Yeah. You get to see those evolution. And I think that Levels is an interesting company because they're trying to provide this, I think this initial level, level of course, of, yeah. of understanding through, through continuous glucose monitor. And I think that they're probably right on some level. I keep saying that on some level, um, <laughs> giving them lots of free publicity with yeah, the right. recurrent use of level. 
but they're probably right that people won't use these over the long term. It's probably going to be something that is going to be used sort of more precision wise in the sense of try it for two weeks with a certain frame, try it for two weeks before you start any frame actually, and just see what your regular diet does and then see what various interventions do and see, see what some experiments do, trying some apple cider vinegar, trying to not eat three hours before bed, trying to do some exercise after you eat. So actually that's the, that's the company that gave me a free monitor. So I was yeah. looking at using, because I just, because I know what's available already on the market. I, I can prescribe one to my clients. So the question is what else are they doing that's going to be sort of on the next level of understanding uh, what, you know, how does it help? You know, so they give a lot of instruction, they give a lot of information, and I think they're on the right track. So we'll see. But I, I think that 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 feel is really what's important, Sean. So that's what I kind of go back to always is that initially it's when you're meditating, for example, and you're in that sort of meditative state, you know you don't know what that feels like. But once you understand what that feels like, then you know kind of when you're in that place, right? Uh, people have a different definition of meditation and there's lots of definitions and I don't, but for people that are sort of, there's different, there's different varieties of this. Like there's the idea that you're in life, you can be meditating right now and, and having a conversation and being in this selfless, worldless, oneness kind of thing all the time. That's very true, but there's also that sort of meditative state where you're in like that sort of Hertz equivalent of the earth and sort of vibrating at earth equivalent. And that's only a couple of people that I know can be like awake and doing that. And one of them is a former guest of yours. So but yeah. anyway, yeah, but right. in general, but you know, the idea is that you can feel when you're there. Right. And so then you don't have to use, like there's a lot of great meditative apps and, uh, and technologies now that are helping you feel these certain ways. And that's great. But eventually hopefully you don't need to use those things and you can kind of just know how it feels to be in that state. Although, Again, biohackers always want to get someplace faster, right? So there's always going to be tech for you. That's for yeah, sure. right. Yeah, yeah. The 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 type A type A type A biohacker who <laughs> wants to quantify everything and and track everything and optimize everything sometimes just need to stop it, and knock it off, shut up, breathe through your nose, relax a little bit. You know, like get some yeah. Sleep. I mean, there's it tends to be this sort of this pattern that you see. You see these people kind of go up and they get like all this shit that they're tracking. And then all of a sudden, except for very few, do the opposite. They do end up not end up staying there for very long. Because it's just not it's not it's not tenable. It's just not doable to do these things over the long time, long term, except if you're very special. Like there's my friend Bob Troya, who you probably know is you know, biohacking yeah. Bob in what is that what he goes by? Or something like that. Quantified right? Bob. Um, Quantified Bob. Thank you. Quantified. So Bob is great and he's a He's amazing at quantifying, and he's been doing this for like almost decades at this point. But he's the exception to the rule. Most people just cannot sustain something like that, except if you have like a coding mindset like he right. does, where he's like spreadsheeting and coding. And it just, so most people don't stay there. So I th and that's okay. The idea really is not to stay there, but is to get the information, understand how you feel, how you interact with various compounds and, and various practices, and then hopefully find a more sustainable way of going forward. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob Bob is a unique guy. I've, I've had him on the episode twice, or on the podcast twice. And uh, yeah, his his brain definitely works quite unlike mine. <laughs> like, like most. I, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm not huge on tracking. I mean, honestly, the, 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 the CGM that I got from Levels was the first time that I had really 
um, wrapped my arms around sort of quantifying data for myself because I, I I'm, I'm freaked out about EMFs and I don't need a I don't want a Bluetooth ping you know constantly or every 15 minutes and so I've, I've not really done the aura ring or whoop strap or anything like that but mm-hmm. that's just that's just my flavor yeah um, I mean again it's there's it's completely cool right the idea though is what are you doing to optimize your health doesn't require tracking but it yeah. does sometimes help you along the way maybe you'll be one of those people that used it for 14 days like one level's continuous glucose monitor and then you're done perfect maybe you don't need to be that person and you can just feel your way through how you react and do food diaries and do and do uh, do emotion logs and things like that depending on what you want there's all different ways to do this but the key always is to think about that what is your foundation here how are you building that foundation and then how are you optimizing from there because if not eventually you are going to run into some roadblocks or have some backsliding or potentially even significant backsliding depending on kind of where you are in your journey. Yeah. I want to hear the the sort of origin story for how you got into hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, mm. you know, you, you with your background, you really could have focused anywhere and and you I mean as, as far as I can tell, you're you're one of the sort of global leading experts um in um in awareness of this and in uh, support of this and i know that it's a big part of your practice can you tell us a little bit like how you got into it and then i want to talk about some of the most recent studies uh about about some of the incredible benefits of it like why 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 hyperbaric yeah i mean it's it's a fantastic field and it's it's something that really became the main way i evolved my practice outside of conventional medicine so as I was saying, I grew up the son of a chiropractor. I was looking for a way to, to bridge this gap, this chasm between alternative and conventional care. I was in my third year of medical school at the University of Maryland in Baltimore, and they have a place called Shock Trauma. And Baltimore is known for its shock and trauma. And I saw a lot of it in my three-week hmm. stint there. You're on call for 30 hours. I don't think they do this anymore. But when I was there, you were on call every, 30, every three nights for 30 hours. Whoa. And so it was called Q3 overnight call. And so you got to see some crazy stuff. But in the basement, there was a gigantic hyperbaric chamber. And I saw people going in that had really bad uh, burns, really bad wounds and trauma. And I would see these fantastic recoveries. And I saw some people that were actually on ventilators going into these chambers, walk out of the chamber. So they Mm. were on like breathing tubes while they actually got rolled in On, on the way out. They walked out. Like wow. actually got extubated in the chamber. It was crazy. So I was like, well, what, what the hell's going on in this chamber? And they said it was just a combination of oxygen and pressure, getting more oxygen in circulation. And I said, well, why don't we use it for other things? And, and they said, well, it's only approved for these 14 conditions. And that's, that's what we use it for. And I was like, well, huh. <laughs> so I, I mean, I was, I was tired. I was Q3 call during this time. And, and residency itself, in, in any red, in medical residency is, is trying. But in my free time, I was starting to look at you know, what hyperbaric therapy could do just because of this potential physiologic shift that we were making. And I realized that like in countries like Russia and China and Japan, they were using it for like 70 different things. Hmm. And the research for those things was actually pretty robust. And the research was growing and growing. So this is back in 2007. And so I ended up like getting my first certification in hyperbaric medicine around then. And then I did some additional 
studying, and then I did another certification again in 2013, I think. Was it 2012 or 2013? But I realized pretty quickly that the power of this therapy was in its simplicity and using this natural ability for us to make energy and create oxidative stress in a therapeutic way to completely shift our epigenetics in a way that optimized our physiology, new blood vessels, inflammatory cascades going down, stem cell release, wound healing from the inside out, and regenerating tissue, regenerating our cells, and doing this also at the same time, acutely oxygenating the body from like just one exposure, killing bugs, decreasing inflammation and swelling, reversing low oxygen states as well. So you have this ability to like potentially help somebody recover from a heart attack or a stroke or a traumatic brain injury or like a limb trauma, like limbs like hanging off sideways and you can like put it back together, get them in hyperbaric therapy and their limb is going to survive. And I was like, mm. this is the most fantastic therapy ever. Mm. And so that's when I sort of developed my understanding that hyperbaric therapy was going to be my integrative practice. It was going to be my main focus. But very quickly, I also realized that this is not something that everybody has access to. Right. So what developed was an, an online, so I have like a virtual online integrative practice where people will call me and ask me about hyperbaric therapy, but the first 35 or 40 minutes of my call have nothing to do with hyperbaric therapy most of the time and have everything mm -hmm. to do with this foundational stuff that we're talking about. And also, depending on what they need, if they have cancer, if they have, if they have a traumatic brain injury, if they have another condition, it likely there's going to be some sort of integration of other therapies, other practices, other practitioners that are also going to be helpful on their journey. So, so hyperbaric therapy became, and it still is the foundation of my practice, but I also have this additional, this additional, like let's call it, let's call it the down below the earth level, which is health optimization medicine, uh, which is the foundation of the practice that or the, I guess like let's call it the earth of my practice. And then <laughs> on top of that, I build I build on I build on that from hyperbaric therapy being the primary thing that I do, and so but the key really is in the simplicity of the physiology and the shifts that we're making by just driving a whole lot more oxygen in circulation. Yeah, yeah. the, the I, I always like to hear the the origin stories for why people get into one thing or the other thing, right? And mm -hmm. and to hear you say like yeah I was I was at residency and I was tired and I just saw these amazing things happen. And then I just decided to follow the breadcrumbs and look deeper into it. The fact that the, the connection between like there's only it was only approved for 14, 14 different things in, in, in the States and like 70 in Asia. It's like, OK, well, then what are we missing here? You right. Know, uh, it's it's fascinating to me. You know, um, I was so tired. I remember being yeah. so tired. <laughs> this is the I thing, remember, Eureka. I mean, I saw people like with stab wounds getting opened up in the trauma bays and like their hearts. I mean, it was it was crazy. And there's a lots of trauma, but that was really the the main thing that I took away after I got some sleep. After that, I was like, "Wow, I I think there's something to this hmm. oxygen thing." And then yeah. I realized that there was so much more out there, and it was really a good time to start getting involved because some of the early studies in hyperbaric therapy that really began shifting it from not only a condition-based practice or therapy to more of a wellness and optimization practice, although it wasn't exactly there initially, was through Dom Diagostino and some of the work he was doing combining hyperbaric oxygen therapy with the ketogenic diet for a metastatic model of glioblastoma or, or brain cancer. Mm -hmm. And so that was back in 2013. And then when that first study came out, I heard Dom speaking to Dave Asprey 
on like podcast 45 or something. And Dom became a friend before that. He was a friend of mine. And so I was like, Dom, can you put me in touch with Dave? This bulletproof biohacking stuff sounds really interesting to me. And that's when I met Dave and, and he came to my office several months later talking about hyperbaric therapy. So that's how I got involved in the optimal performance biohacking ah, cool. side of things too. Yeah, Very just cool. to bring it all there. Yeah. I remember hearing about hyperbaric oxygen, hyperbaric oxygen, um, uh, like in the, maybe in like the late nineties, early two thousands when they were saying that Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson was like sleeping in one and Madonna was sleeping in, in one. Yeah. I remember as a kid thinking, what in the hell is that? Like how futuristic and cool is that they're sleeping in this, in this capsule thing that's yeah. just like forcing oxygen <laughs> into their body and making them superhuman like that. I was, I was so <laughs> struck by it. And then, sure. and, and the, I like it because I, I've actually never done it before, but the reason that I'm compelled by it is that, uh, it's the type of thing that affects everything. It's like, a, it's like a meta practice, right? It's a, it's a, it's Indeed. a tool yeah. that helps, that helps all the things. And those, those, those sort of, I guess, minimum effective no, dose is, is sort of the, the, the idea there is, is that this, if you do this thing, it will help everything. Well, that's right, a synergizer, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, what's what's the obviously the, the biggest roadblock is is accessibility to it. Um, wh- where are we in the technology? Um, mm-hmm. And then, and I do want to ask about the the study that was released last month. Sure, um, sure. But yeah. but where are we within the technology for accessibility for people? Like, are there at home units? Where can you find um, clinics, mm-hmm. etc.? Yeah. So, first of all. I don't recommend sleeping in hyperbaric chambers. You can, take a, you can take a nap in one, but sleeping for six hours in an oxygenated environment is typically not a good idea. It's called hormetic stress for a reason. Don't give yourself and don't give your body that much stress by doing it overnight in general. So I, I don't say it's not like an absolute. There are some people that may benefit from it if they're using it very occasionally, but in general, you don't want to be sleeping in the chamber overnight. So I used to use Michael Jackson as one of my examples in my in my lectures but i've been a little bit on the cusp if it's okay to do that anymore you know with all these documentaries and can i really start breaking down the moonwalk in the middle of my lectures will people like be like oh god he's supporting child molesters or is that funny but if you're like born like before 1985 or so the first thing you ask me when you hear about hyperbaric therapy is like oh is that what michael jackson used (laughs) right if you're born like after his pepsi commercial where he actually burned himself and then used the hyperbaric chamber to actually heal the wounds on his head. And then he eventually donated the chamber to the burn unit at Cedar sinai Hospital in LA. Huh. So if you're after, born after 1985, then you have no clue. But before that, people like yourself will say that to me. But to your point on types of chambers, so there are different types of chambers. There are the, the medical grade chambers come in two varieties. They come as something called a multi-place chamber. These are where multiple people can get treated all at the same time. The first reason hyperbaric therapy really was developed was for treating the bends or decompression illness from diving injuries. And so these chambers can go very deep pressures and they can treat very sick patients. So the people that I saw when I was in training in my medical residency or medical school actually. So, uh, and you also see them at dive meccas and dive places around the world. And you see them in a lot of academic facilities, big tertiary care hospitals. So there's also what are called monoplace chambers. These are chambers that are made of some sort of hard acrylic type of material, maybe metal, maybe a plastic, uh, maybe a combination of aluminum and glass. It just depends. These typically go anywhere from two to three atmospheres of pressure. 
and that's the equivalent of 33 to 66 feet of seawater. And those can actually treat all the medical indications that are approved by the by the U.S. insurance companies for hyperbaric therapy, which of their of which there are 14. Things like diabetic foot ulcers that are not healing, radiation injury from cancer treatment. So if you get radiation, you get uh, you get uh, for cancer, but you have a radiation injury that kind of comes up six months or uh, or longer after the injury after the radiation. And hyperbaric therapy is a fantastic tool to help you heal from that, rebuilding the scaffolding of the tissue. There's also chronic bone infections. There's sudden hearing loss from a neurologic reason. There's also uh, flaps and grafts from plastic surgery that are not looking like they're going to take. This is like in a lot of patients that have had like reconstructive surgery from like breast cancer and they get a mastectomy and then they get a flap to their breast to make a new breast and those kinds of things. That's what we're talking about there. And then there's also things like necrotizing fasciitis, which is flesh-eating bacteria, cyanide poisoning, scorpion bites, things that you see every day, of course. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> naturally. <laughs> uh, acute limb trauma, compartment syndromes, uh, uh, thermal burns, and others. But So almost all the indications can be treated in these mono, they're called monoplace chambers, uh, except for decompression illness, which typically needs to be in those multi-place deeper chambers. And then the, the final type of chamber that was developed is called the mild unit. These are soft-sided chambers, typically will uh, pressurize to something called to a pressure of 1.3, which 1.3 ATA, which is about 10 or 12 feet of seawater equivalent. And these chambers are only approved on the insurance side for, uh, for acute mountain sickness. So if you're going to go up a, a mountain very fast, you can get acute pulmonary edema. Basically, your lungs fill up with fluid because of the altitude change and the, the low oxygen state. And so these chambers can be taken and, and, and actually get people to reverse that very quickly by getting oxygen in the system. Hmm. The mild units, although in studies, look like they have significant potential for what, we, what I call neurocognitive and neurohacking types of abilities. So a lot of the studies that have been done on things like the dementias, the autistic spectrum, cerebral palsy, um, just cognitive wellness in general, traumatic brain injury, um, all of these conditions and just optimizing cognitive, cognitive performance have potential in these mild units as well. Also, in addition, things like muscle recovery, jet lag, using the sensory deprivation chambers in your own home, just highly oxygenated, along with meditation and things like that, can be very, very helpful. And these are more accessible because they're less expensive, and even in clinics, if you go to a clinic, they're going to be more affordable. But for systemic types of, types of changes, we're really looking at the deeper chambers to really see those, uh, those maximal benefits of stem cell release and telomere length going mm -hmm. up and senescent cells going down, which is the study that I know you want to talk about. Um, but before we get there, the only point that I would make is that if you are able to stack various therapies together using the mild-sided units, there's a possibility you can see a lot of the same benefits physiologically. We just don't know because huh. the studies haven't been done. So one of the things that I do a lot is work with a lot of biohackers and optimal performance and how they can integrate various therapies together in trying to approximate various ways of getting similar results, potentially, although we don't know for sure. And then I work with clinics directly as well and help the clinics develop integrative protocols depending on the other therapies that they have under their belt or whatever they're gonna be uh, providing at their clinic. So whether it's sauna or cryo or massage or uh, neurologic chiropractic or whatever. So I work with clinics that help integrate hyperbaric therapy in those contexts as well, using using the mild chambers most of the time. 
You can use the hard chambers, of course, as well. But it's what's cool about the mild chambers to finish off before I'm sure you have questions is that in the mild chambers, you not you can actually bring stuff in there with you too. It, that's portable. So you can bring in neurofeedback devices. You can bring in HRV monitors. You can bring in meditation devices. Uh, like I said, you can also bring in nothing and make it a meditative device as well. So you, you know, leave your phone outside of it, which is mm -hmm. a good thing too, of course. So, sure. but anyway, you can, you can see what I mean. You can sort of stack things before, during, and after when you're using a mild chamber. And in the hard chambers, you, can, you, th you do things before and after most of the time. Can you, can you describe the design of the mild chamber and what, is it, what does it typically cost? So the mild chambers are typically, they look like cylindrical tubes, basically. They look like a tube. And um, they're usually made out of like a nylon or a, something like TPU material, which is basically something made of like a certain type of plastic. And um, there, there are a couple of other designs. There's a triangular design as well, where it's sort of like where you can sit up in it a little bit. Hmm. Sometimes it's called a recline chamber, depending on the company that's making them. And some of the, some of the uh, mild units are completely sit up as well. There's some that are based out of Japan that have a completely sit up and that are also that, that actually are sort of multi-place mild chambers, which are pretty unusual, but they're hmm. becoming more popular in places like Japan, which actually has like the most market penetration of mild units in the world, I huh. think. And so they, every chiropractor's office, everybody, like every place that has a home big enough has one of these units for, for hyperbaric therapy, interestingly enough. So uh, Japan is sort of on the forefront of this, as I mentioned as well. So, but the cost depends. The cost can be to purchase a mild unit. You're looking at sort of on the lower end, probably around 13 or 14 K. And then on the higher end, anywhere up to 23, 25 K to make, to, to get one. So sometimes you can get one secondhand, which I, which I always, I always try to counsel people against because you don't know what has happened to the chamber that you're getting. Yeah. Uh, so, and then it's also important to know that in the U S no matter what type of chamber you're using, whether it be a mild unit for home or a, a medical grade unit, they all require a prescription. So they're all medical devices, even if they're in your home and they all have risks to them as well. So it's important to understand what those risks are. And it's also important to kind of understand what your goals are. And I have a company that I've, that I started called HBOT plus that's developing technology to make hyperbaric therapy faster in the sense of, I think, faster results, safer. So you kind of have a, a more safer experience. And then overall, just understanding what your protocol should be. And we're developing an application, a phone application that you can download and then use and then understand what your protocols look like in mm -hmm. education and, and things like that. Because the challenge in, is that more of these chambers are coming out in the market and, uh, and, that, and that's great. But then but unfortunately, there's less understanding of how to use these optimally. So that's one of the things that I, I emphasize a lot, Sean, is using not only the, the type of chamber appropriately, so understanding what your goals are, using the type of chamber that'd be most appropriate for your goals, but at the, set, at the same time, also um, understanding the protocols that, that it would be best for those particular chambers. And so I do training uh, in that capacity with clinics. I do that with, with individuals. But this phone application that we're developing, the phone app, is going to be really, I think, next generation to help people as these as this technology is becoming more available, and you're seeing it more and more as well. Yeah, cool, awesome, wow. Yeah, I, I gave you a lot there. Sorry, that's no, <laughs> no, no. I, I, I kept I, going and going. <laughs> on. 
No, I, I asked the question. It would, the, you know, the nitty gritties on costs and, and accessibility and stuff like that. Because I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. You know, is, is you know, I, I started a, a chain of sensory deprivation tank centers here in Seattle in 2012, and so, oh, cool. You know, purchased, you know, popping 15k for a device that can help people. I'm just curious about the economics of it. Um, it uh, works in a clinic setting. You can absolutely do it, and you can. I mean, in a clinic setting, it's it's a home run, if, especially if you're integrating it with other technologies and it becomes something that you're using in that context. It's also important, though, that if you're going to do it in a clinic setting, you have more than one so that you can whoever's supervising the chambers can be supervising more than one person at the yeah. same time, because especially like in the hard chamber facilities, you see that it's sort of like economies of scale. That's how you really make money doing this. The mild units, you can potentially do it without the economies of scale because the prices are less, the prices that we've discussed, but like the prices for hard chamber for medical grade units start at like 50, 60 K at the Mm -hmm. minimum. And then you're looking at 150 K at the highest. Now, of course, you can lease these things and you can amortize them over years or whatever, but that's still a pretty hard cost for your clinic. So the way you do it is is by scale. So I, I work with uh, clinics all over the place, and I understand that economy of scale as well. Yeah. And, and then also the big part of it is like, is your place just going to do uh, insurance-related dives, or is it going to do a combination of dives, which we call hyperbaric sessions dives, like a combination of, of both insurance and non-insurance, so like the investigational things that are covered in other countries, um, or you're just going to do the investigational stuff. And so you'll see sort of a variety of places around the U.S. that are doing all of these permutations, basically. Hmm. The, the one that I feel is probably the most sustainable is the one that does both, which does insurance work, and then it also does the off-label, the investigational as well, because the economy doesn't change for people that have insurance, but the economy does change for people that don't and that will right. be coming in and paying out of pocket. And right. so like an out-of-pocket cost for an, like one session in a hyperbaric chamber is going to vary from, if it's a hard chamber, it's going to vary probably from like 150 at its very lowest to 350 at its highest in places like San Francisco and, and New York. And the key always to remember is that it's not just one hyperbaric session as you're typically going to need. <clears throat> it's about a protocol of hyperbaric therapy that's going to shift your epigenetics, hmm. as I discussed before, because that oxygen is creating an oxidative stress on your DNA, which is then as a result expressing certain genes that are responsible for decreasing inflammation, for making new blood vessels, for preventing cell death. And so that takes time. And that the revving up of the wound healing process takes time. So I often say if, if like you've had an acute injury, if you have an acute process, three to five hyperbaric sessions on average is going to significantly synergize with the wound healing process, whatever mm-hmm. that wound healing is from, whether it be like an ACL tear, a hip replacement, a traumatic brain injury, a cut on your toe, it doesn't matter. It's all going to help synergize with that healing process. But if you've had something that's been more longstanding or if you have a longstanding goal, like you've had post-concussive syndrome for three years, or you just want to optimize your brain function or your heart function or make your penis a little bit harder when it's when you have erections, those things take longer because it's not just something that's happened overnight. It's like, you know, it's not like a dick pill, you know, it takes time. So, like, yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, um, that's really the, the, it's really an important, uh, fork in the road for me, like understanding what people's goals are, but, un, but just so that people know, it's not just one session in the chamber that's typically going to get you there. It's going to be, it's going to be a protocol of therapy to really 
shift things over. So per session matters, but understanding that you're not going to likely benefit from just one session as you go through therapy. I often like to say, Sean, that it's not just, it, it's, it's maybe I'm biased here and I'm making noise, I'm sorry, but is, is that I'm biased, of course, but it's not in my mind if you need hyperbaric therapy or if you would benefit from it. It's when it would be most optimal mm. for you that you will benefit the most from it. And so oftentimes when people come to me with longstanding conditions or long-term goals like anti-aging, reverse aging, optimizing health, whatever you want to call it, and or chronic conditions like chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or Lyme disease or whatever, and they say, I want to get into the chamber, I go, no, you're not getting into the chamber. <laughs> we are going to consider some of these other things first before you go in. Otherwise, your time in the chamber is going to be wasted or not as right. optimal as it could be. And right. so oftentimes people appreciate that. But and I don't I don't often say no like that right away. I, I don't go I don't go the Israeli way, which we'll talk about in a minute in a minute, which is be very frank and go. No, <laughs> I will be uh, I will be I will more on the end of saying, let's talk about your health first. Let's talk about sure. what you've done so far with your fibromyalgia. How have you tried to optimize your health so far? What have you done for your post concussive syndrome? How much success have you had? Kind of where are you in your journey kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to reversing age and things like that, there, and this is going to dovetail into that study that you were talking about, I was in Israel in 2018, and I'm Jewish by background. And so I kind of understand a little bit about Israeli culture, not a huge amount, but I was there. And it's so funny. It's like this high-tech world in Tel Aviv, but you still have to haggle with your cab driver before you get into the cab, or they're going to just take you for a ride and make and just charge you up the wazoo at the end. <laughs> But anyway, so I was at the, it's called Asaf Harafei Hospital in Tel Aviv, Israel. And this is where uh, Dr. Shai Afradi was doing a lot of these studies on reverse aging. And I saw this, they have a multi-place chamber which treats multiple people at the same time. They were showing me some of the, the labs and all this kind of stuff. And then I asked, and so he'd had a couple podcasts or, or not podcasts, but like I think some TED Talks or something similar to it about reversing age. And I said to Shai, I'm like, Shai, why do you call it reverse aging? Like we, in the US, we call it anti-aging. Uh, we don't want to age. And he's like, because I reverse age. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, let me show you. And so he showed me some early data on telomere length and senescent cells. And he's like, here, I reversed age. <laughs> and he said in a very matter of fact way, he's like, that's why I call it reverse aging, because I reversed age. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's like the mentality there. But that's some of the preliminary data that they were showing in 2018 and finally just published, yeah. I think, about a month ago, as you were asking about before. Yeah. that I mean, the 35 people, increased telomere length, um, reduce, reduction of senescent cells. Uh, is, this, is this the most compelling piece of data study that we've got um, for hyperbaric oxygen therapy in, in recent um, in recent time, is this is this like the is this like how big is this study? How important is it? Well, it's big because I think that for the first time, it, there's very few therapies that have shown any telomere length increasing. There are multiple studies that show sort of like the slowing of telomere length declining over time. Um, so that's that's pretty compelling on on its own right. Although I'm sure you know being in the biohacking world, that there is some questions about 
telomere length in general as being the best marker for age. And if we really want to increase our telomere length is another question that's interesting as well because we do this on purpose so that cancers don't, uh, sorry, that cells don't, be, don't become cancerous as well. So there's a bit of a double-edged sword like anything else. So I'm not really sure what to do with the telomere, le- the telomere length part of the study, honestly. Mm. But where, I've, where I'm more compelled and what I've seen in, in countless examples and people that I've treated over the years is that there are the senescent cell populations going down is huge because we know absolutely that senescent cells are correlated with aging and age-related disorders, age-related processes like cancer, inflammation, degeneration, et cetera, Alzheimer's, you name it. Senescent cells are a part of that equation. So if we have a therapy, which I think we do, that gets rid of those cells, either by uh, apoptosing them, either by killing them, or by regenerating them in a way that regenerates their mitochondrial function, then we have a, a therapy that is regenerating and then reversing age in some way, in, hmm. in a significant way. And so the Israelis published, they've been sort of teasing studies for a while. They've done studies on uh, optimizing blood flow to the brain. And in fact, they published a study about three months ago. I think it might've been on the same population or maybe a very similar one where they looked at like normal, healthy aging people, optimizing blood flow to their brain using hyperbaric oxygen therapy, same protocol as they used for the telomere length lengthening and the senescent cell population. So what I think in context, this study is sort of um, the culmination of multiple studies that they've published over the last five years or even longer than that now, six years or so. The first one being stroke. They published a study on stroke in 2013, I think, in showing how you could regenerate parts of your brain using hyperbaric therapy. The key is what they've done, Sean, is that they've done more objective measures. They've done brain imaging and they've done laboratory testing. And so that's something that has not really been available in the hyperbaric sphere in, in, the, in, the, in, in the study designs and things like that because it's expensive. It's expensive to get people through hyperbaric protocols. It's expensive, again, to add on various things like brain imaging and functional MRI scanning. And before that, it was spec scanning. So, But now we know from the Israelis that we can improve blood flow in the brain. We can improve and optimize blood flow around our heart so we can actually increase VO2 max getting in the chamber. We also can in- increase blood flow in our genital regions as well to help with erectile function. So you know, natural oxygen-inducing Viagra, maybe. So, yeah. But, yeah, but all this needs to be thought about in context, right? Because that study, even in the, in, I think in the, in the discussion or part of it, they talk about they didn't change anybody's lifestyle. They didn't change anybody's diet. They didn't change anybody's behaviors. And I even spoke to the Israelis about this. And there's sort of two ways to think about this, right? Like in the Israeli way, it's like, well, they'll be back when they need it again, right? Because <laughs> they've still been doing, and this is like the common way of, of most sort of conventional-minded people, which is that people aren't going to change. We can give them the therapy that's going to help them, but at some point, they're going to go back to their hamburgers, their hummus, you know, their fried foods or whatever. And, and they're going to like go back to the way they were before, and they'll, we'll just treat them again and whatever. It's, it's a good model for us. And so... In that light, actually, they've, the Israelis actually opened up a huge hyperbaric facility in a place called The Villages in Florida. And mm-hmm. The Villages is one of the largest retirement homes and the, the fastest growing retirement communities, excuse me, not homes, but communities in the world. Like above 55, I think you have to be to move there. It's also got the highest rate 
of sexually transmitted diseases in the country. Right. Yeah, so there you go, 55 and above, nothing else to do. So you get it. So this is where they opened up their clinic, thinking this is a good model for them, right? They, They charge people a certain amount of money to go through the whole process, and then they know in four or five years, after all the sex and all the STDs <laughs> and the bad Floridian food at their at their golf co- at their golf clubs, that they'll be back. So, <laughs> but of course, that's not how I approach this. I approach this as let's optimize your health, let's make that foundation, and then think about hyperbaric therapy and these kinds of protocols. They also did sixty hyperbaric sessions in these research trials as well. That's Monday through Friday, weekends off for three months. Wow. So it's an intensive amount of time. It's a significant time commitment. So in my frame here, I'm like, well, what if we could do the same thing in 30 if you optimize your health? And my feel is that very likely you can. I don't have the data yet, but also to be clear, this study was done in hard chamber hyperbaric therapy environments. It was done at two atmospheres, which you cannot get in a mild unit. So just as a thought, as you're thinking about, wow, I need to get a mild unit from my home. It's gonna reverse my telomere age and get rid of senescent cells. I have no data to say that that's actually going to be the case. Hmm. Uh, right now, the best I can tell you is that it's going to optimize your cognitive function and the things that we described. But it, right now, to get to that same place as what these studies are showing is I think you need to do you know, deeper pressure treatments. One thing you'll get, if, you, if any of your listeners start talking to some of these mild chamber companies. And it sort of drives me crazy because all these guys just want, I mean, obviously they care on some level, but in, in, in the end, they're just trying to make money. Um, they're gonna tell you that, oh, you just need to do more sessions in a mild chamber to get to the same, uh, same amount of oxygen exposure as you would get in a deep chamber. But that's a complete, uh, it's a complete, edu- it's a, what's the, there's like a word for this, but like a complete fallacy and argument in the mm-hmm. sense of, more oxygen at lower pressures is going to get you the same thing as more as 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 the same amount of uh, as more oxygen at deeper pressures. And there's a lot of reasons for this, and I'm going to be talking more about this in the potential book that I'll ever I hopefully will write at some point. That I'm I'm working or I have the outline done. But the idea really is that is they're not equivalent. Is that you cannot get the same amount of pressure. You can't get the same amount of oxygen diffusion into tissue, and no matter how much oxygen you get at lower pressures. So it's not equivalent. So if anybody ever tells you that they're equivalent, even with more oxygen at the mild units, they're not, okay? Mm. Now, if you're looking at equivalence between like a 1.3 versus a 1.5 atmosphere of pressure, which is when some, somehow some of the studies have been done at 1.5 for brain injury, for, uh, for autistic spectrum, for CP, I do think that's possible. But I don't think it's possible for the deeper pressures at this time. Mm. So just to kind of throw that out there. But uh, but this Israeli study has been sort of, they've done these multiple studies over many years. And this, is, this really is their culmination. This is really their, their, their coming out study because now it's in the popular press and people know it all outside of, of the hyperbaric sphere. So in that capacity, yes. But the basic physiology doesn't change. It's been known about for, for decades. But now that we see sort of the, the subjective expression, the macro level of what it can do. That's, that's, that's exciting and very promising. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, instead of doing 60 sessions over three months, you know, um, with the deeper, with a deeper dive, you're, you're thinking perhaps the introduction of some other 
you know, lifestyle changes, maybe switching to keto, maybe introducing intermittent fasting, you know, getting your sleep, you know, quitting fried food and, you know, um, simple things first, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think I I do feel that this has been my experience sort of anecdotally with the people that I've worked with over the years in some of my clinics around here and around the world, you know, some athletes and high performers and tech executives and all those kinds of people is that we can get significant benefit between 20 and 30 at the deeper pressures for most people that are pretty well optimized before they start. And even the people that are not as well optimized, they'll still feel pretty good, except that improvement will likely not last as long as the people have been more optimized in general. And so what I'll often say to those guys is that do your op, do the 20 to 30 at the deeper pressures if you have the wherewithal and the funding to do it, and then go buy yourself a mild unit and then use that for the optimized neurocognitive performance side of things. And every year come in and get the deep chamber dives or every couple of years, depending on how you're doing and the metrics that you're following kind of thing. So that's how I, that's how I see it for the most part. And a, a lot of it depends on obviously your, your resources and what's available to you. Yeah. But in an ideal world, you're doing hard chamber hyperbaric therapy, 30 to 40 a year, or maybe every two years, depending on how healthy you are. And then using a mild unit in your house for the other stuff. Awesome. Oh man, that's cool. Um, in the perfect world. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you gotta, you start, start small and simple. And then if there's something acute or something traumatic, you can, you can pull out the big guns, dive deep and right. hit it hard. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there, there's some, there's some thought and there's some evidence that if you've gone through a hyperbaric protocol and you've shifted those genes to express certain things, they're maintained in that way for a period of time. We don't know how long, but that's the way that you can utilize oxygen better in the post-treatment period. There's actually some interesting data on pre-treating with hyperbaric oxygen therapy if you're at risk for having a concussion or an injury and things like that because of actually nitric oxide and making your blood vessels um, more resilient to any potential stress that might occur. So yeah, this is something that I was just reading about yesterday as I'm going through some of the some of the basic physiology of, of oxidative stress and, and extra oxygen and, and uh, some of the responses that the, the body has, has to high oxygen environments huh. uh, with, various, uh, with various like chemo and baroreceptors in our blood vessels. It's very interesting. And so a part of it is nitric oxide and also how nitric oxide is, is affecting blood vasculature and stem cell release and things like that. So pretty interesting. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So cool. Well, yeah, but- I... It's 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 encouraging to me because you know in five or ten or fifteen years we're going to know so much more and hopefully the technology will be more widely available to people because it because it's it, it will be I'm working yeah, on it. <laughs> yeah right on right on one of my Spe- one of my goals really Sean is to is to get to, to get to to have the availability more widespread so yeah. we're working on various ways that I hope to be announced hope to be able to announce early next year about some ways to be able to do that. So Nice. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Tease. Solid tease there, Doc. Yeah. Solid. No, it's exciting. Super exciting. I mean, especially cool. with the technology that we've been developing with the phone app to help with safety and for protocols and, yeah. and education. And also we're working on some really cool stuff that we've actually written some patents on that help with uh, improving the, I, I, I believe, the therapeutic potential of a mild chamber. So it's something that you can actually potentially approximate deeper chamber pressures inside of your milder unit, I think. So, mm. but we're still in the testing phase, so I can't make any promises there. But cool. the, the whole landscape is changing. And I think 
this Israeli study has done a lot to bring more interest and more eyeballs to it. But take care to understand the difference between a mild unit that you get from your home and a hard chamber unit that's typically at a facility. Now, some people I should mention can get hard chambers for their home. Some of the, the higher wealth people that I know do have them, uh, like certain people that you've had on your podcast, actually. Um, yeah. But that, but that's it takes more, it just takes more, obviously, finances, more safety protocols and things like that. So it's a bit trickier. But just, just to kind of throw it out there for any of your high wealth people, that, that it is a possibility, but it's just a little bit trickier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before, before we kind of take it, take it home, I, I, I'm kind of curious as to specifically the, the type of work that you do and maybe you've already covered it. So forgive me, but, um, with, with home hope and with, uh, Dr. Achikoso, um, what's your involvement? How do you do it? What's the goal? I mean, people will be familiar because of, uh, mm-hmm. because of Dr. Mm-hmm. Ted's appearance, um, recently, but, um, how are you doing th- this, this health optimization from San Francisco and how is it all integrated? You smile. What is it? <laughs> Truthfully on some level, I have no fucking clue <laughs> <laughs> because if you ever thought that there was a business plan, uh, for what we do, there is no such thing. We are, or what are we called? I call us like an organic amorphous mass of, of, of consciousness. Nice. Good. <laughs> so, oh, that sounds good to me though. <laughs> so uh, the way, and this is one of the things like, so for me, I'm, I'm like a lot of people in the biohacking space and optimal performance space. I'm a type A guy. I like structure. I like to know what's in front of me. I'm a doctor. I kind of know what a business plan is. And I've, I've done them like basically over the years, but nothing really dramatic. And like initially when I met Ted, it was, it was in the way of understanding that I was looking for a foundation for my hyperbaric practice and knew that I didn't really want to go the functional medicine route because I really wasn't interested in sort of root cause illness. I grew up a son of a chiropractor. As I said, I was more interested in health and how to optimize that. And this, this whole approach, this whole framework fit right into that mold. And it was, it was perfect. And then, so I met Dr. Ted and we were talking about health optimization medicine. I was like, Oh, this sounds awesome. And then I was like, well, we should have a business plan and we should have a way of bringing things out. He's like, He's like, oh, no, no, we're not going to do any of that. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, what do we do? He's like, well, we start with this and we make this and, and then we just see how things flow. And, and we understand that, you know, that we're trying to raise vibration here and that we're, not, we're looking to shift the needle slowly on health. If we can do this, then we can really sort of raise everything, you know, sort of that butterfly effect idea. And I was yeah. like, huh, okay, I think I need to start meditating. So, <laughs> and so... Uh, and it was really a, a fantastic shift for me personally, and it has been a huge shift for me. Um, you probably know that he's also like a master Buddhist monk uh, based in like the Jog Chen uh, philosophy or, 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 or background or whatever you call it. So, yeah. so I was learning all this from him and learning sort of the, the organic amorphous blob that was health optimization medicine was really going to turn in to a way for people to for doctors and non-doctors to educate themselves on how to practice health. And so I was sold from the beginning, even though I didn't realize anything about how this was all going to come to pass and how, and how it was all going to evolve because he wouldn't let me. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, other than knowing that we were creating this coursework for, 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 yeah. for, for practitioners, doctors and non-doctors to learn how to practice this. And so a seven module 
basic certification course that anybody can that people can take and get certified in and then practice in their own spheres of of interest for me it's hyperbaric medicine for others it might be coaching for others it could be uh hypnotism your hypnotistic practice your acupuncture practice your whatever practice your nephrology practice your cardiology practice it doesn't matter so that's the beautiful thing about health optimization medicine is i realized it it was not mutually exclusive to any other practice that you had whether your patients have cancer or your patients are athletes that are working at the Olympic level. And I have patients on both. Hmm. You can use health optimization as that framework. And so that's what I found found so powerful about it. And so in my own health optimization medicine practice, that's what I do. I use it as the foundation of my hyperbaric practice. And so I kind of put it into sort of two columns. The first column being, if you come to me with an acute issue, like an acute hyperbaric issue, like an acute condition, I'm throwing like the educational health optimization shit at the wall kind of deal with you, which is the supplements, protocols, practitioners, mm-hmm. dietary changes, all the stuff that you would do in sort of more on the biohacking side without all the, with all the data because you don't have all the data available. But then if you fall into the other column, which is that you're optimizing your health and, or conditions that have been going on a long period of time, that's when I use the, the, the modules of, hyper, of, excuse me, of health optimization medicine as the foundation of what I do. And then on top of that, it's the other practices and practitioners and, and the other kinds of things that might help you along the way, depending on what your goals are. So, so health optimization medicine in practice is, is a nonprofit organization and looking to educate doctors and non-doctors on this new paradigm of health. Again, mm-hmm. focusing on the health of your cells, focusing on deficiencies and toxicities, and not really focused on the root cause illness kind of mentality. Yeah. Now, in the end, when you're optimizing cellular function, you're able to see all these sort of macro changes that you might see if you were approaching it from a condition-based level. Yeah. Now, a lot of functional medicine doctors that are, and I have a lot of friends that are functional docs, will do a lot of this work in their own practice, but they'll also do a lot of other things at the same time. So we kind of took the 80-20 approach, 80% yeah. of the benefit for 20% of the testing, and then once you've worked on that foundation, then you can start using some of these other testing, and I refer to, fa- uh, to functional medicine doctors all the time for some yeah. of these additional things, like if you have Lyme or if you have chronic viral infections, if, if you have chronic post-concussive syndrome, you probably will need neurofeedback maybe or neuropsychological care or you know, to go to the jungle and do your, do your journeys and experiences if that's something you need from a trauma perspective, yeah. whatever it might be. So did, I don't know if Dr. Ted mentioned this, but I'm going to quote him on this. He often likes to say that the, so we often get that for health optimization medicine does not have a psychological component to him, uh, to, to, to its practice, to the, to the whole uh, thing. And, and what he likes to say, it's just psychological deficiencies are purely a case of DMT deficiency, but that's yeah. it. Not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did. We, we did go there. We did go there. We talked yeah, we about prescriptive there. DMT applications. Uh, nice. you know, it's also something that might help with neurogenesis and all those kinds of things. Now we yeah, too, right? Right. I'm sure he talked about, but, um, soul, as with LSD you know? and ketamine and all these other psychedelics that actually synaptogenesis and dendrites and all these kind of crazy things with all these. Yeah. But anyway, what I, what I mean to say is that our framework is there for you as a practitioner to build upon with, awesome. with whatever you, whatever your flavor is, whatever your flavor of keto ice cream might be. Right. So, <laughs> nice. <laughs> well done. <laughs> my flavor is, is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And so when somebody comes to me and says, Hey, Dr. Scott, I want to get in the chamber for my migraines. I go, let's talk about your migraines. Let's go through your history. And then let's talk about that foundational approach, this health optimization medicine approach. And then on top of that, let's 
talk about hyperbaric therapy in the context of other things. And so I think most of the time people appreciate that, but sometimes they're like, well, I just wanted to talk about hyperbaric therapy. I'm like, well, you talked to the wrong guy. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. If you're eating Doritos and cake every night, then we're, then I'm irritated by you. And <laughs> well, what if it's gluten-free cake, Sean? Yeah. Right. It's gluten-free. Right. Right. It's gluten-free Doritos. I took my gluten guardian afterwards though. Come on. Yeah. I doing well. <laughs> Uh, this is awesome. I, I really enjoyed this conversation, Dr. Sure. Um, you know, Dr. Scott, Dr. Scott, Dr. Scott, the, um, the, the last question is a fill in the blank question. Uh, but sure. before I ask it, if you would please tell people where they can connect with you, where they can find you, where you're most active on social. Sure. I'm pretty active on Instagram at Dr. Scott. Sure. My name is spelled out D R S C O T T S H E R R. I also have a website, integrativehbot.com, for more of my integrative hyperbaric side. And then I do have an, an additional website for just the health optimization medicine. It's home-sf.co, and that's with Dr. Shaker Pai as well, who you know. And we have a health optimization practice that is based in California. I'm in NorCal. He's in Southern California. and But it's something that we do across the country as well. And so my practice is mostly virtual. That's the beauty of of what, having a virtual practice inside of pandemic times and health optimization mm -hmm. medicine, health, optimiza health optimization practice for non-doctors is a virtual practice, which makes it beautiful for the things that we're kind of doing. And virtual things are not going away anytime soon, even if we yeah. do start seeing people kind of go back to, to normal life by the end of 2020, maybe, or 2021, excuse me. Definitely not by the end of 2020. Probably <laughs> not the next two weeks, if I were betting, no, man. It's not gonna, it ain't going <laughs> to happen. So, uh, but anyway, so those are the main places to find me. And then, of course, I am also involved in the for-profit arm of health optimization medicine, which is transcriptions, what's making your tongue blue over there. And I have my, my role there. Yeah, there you go. As the, we call me, I call myself the blue man in, in the U.S. I do most of the operations here in the U.S. And I obviously also work on sort of the relationship side of things and the, clinic, the clinical side of how we're going to use a lot of the products that we're developing for, for patients as well. So. Uh, we see it as a company that's been developed to help really support our nonprofit and a lot of the bottlenecks we see on the path to optimizing your health. So. Awesome. Very cool. And then making your tongue blue is also kind of awesome. It is. It is awesome. It is. Uh, your urine is, kind of blue is also kind of awesome. Oh, I guess I haven't yeah. noticed that. Oh, you haven't? Oh, man. No. Look closer, my friend. I suppose I should be paying closer <laughs> attention to my urine color. Well, it'll be a treat Especially for the combination of, of the B vitamins. It's yeah. a pretty interesting combination. But anyway, oh, to your to last the, question, my friend. To the last question. This <laughs> this can be based on anything and everything that you know. Um, you can elaborate as much or as little as possible, but if you would, please fill in the blank. Um, everyone would benefit from knowing. That this moment is all we have. Hmm. It's, it's a pretty simple thing. And this is something that I teach my kids. I have four of them. And I have one that's very much, my oldest will be 10 this week. She's very much like me. She's like, dad, what are we doing tomorrow? Like, what about next year? Like, where are we going to go? I know we can't go anywhere this year. Can we go next year? And when's grandma going to come? And, and what are we going to have for dinner in two weeks? I'm like, okay, now is all we have. Let's enjoy the moment. Mm -hmm. Let's know that the past is the past. It's gone. The future doesn't exist. Although there might be some thoughts that the future and the past are all the same and that we're all living in one gigantic time 
continuum that none of it really exists. But I won't go there with my daughter quite yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think what I mostly focus on in myself in my practice is that this is all the time we have is right now, Sean. And to, for your listeners as well, the moment is here and it will pass. Whether it is the most fantastic, awesome orgasm of your life, that moment is here, enjoy it, but then it will pass. Mm -hmm. Or it's the worst trauma that you could ever imagine, that will pass as well. So in that case, you may need some help, and that's okay. Our brains weren't wired for those kinds of things. They were, they were wired to be equanimous, really, to have the ability to maintain. Okay, they weren't wired this way, but this is the way that <laughs> they were wired to have these these major swings in emotion, right? This is how we survived. Right. Survived by enjoying the moments we can enjoy and you know, having the most fear possible for the moments that are gonna kill us, <laughs> right? And so, but in general, the, the way to really have an optimal mindset is to know that all these moments are going to pass and mm -hmm. to enjoy them as best as we can, especially, of course, the positive ones at that moment. So you're cooking breakfast, you're seeing your kid taking a shit in the little potty next to you while you're taking a shit in the big one, whatever. That's a, that's a big moment, right? Like that's mm -hmm. a moment you can really say, okay, wow, like this is, we're taking a double crap here. That's important. Yeah. Like, so yeah. like, you know, like, like these kinds of things are like, that may or may not have happened in my house at some point in my life. So, <laughs> so <laughs> <You know>. anyway, <laughs> so you know how it works, right? So like taking the time and, and I think relating this experience to the people that we love and, and, mm. and the clients in our life. And I think if more of us took the moment to know that those clouds are going to pass, if it's the worst thing that's happening or a bad thing, even not the worst, um, or even if it's the greatest thing in our life to savor it, but to know also that, that that's also going to pass as well. And that's okay. That's life, right? That's, that's the, 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 the sort of time-space continuum that we live in at the moment. So I think that would be my answer to that question is live Beautiful. and just enjoy the moment. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for that. No worries. Dr. That's yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nice. I'm going to go back. I'm going to enjoy going back and editing, listening and listening to that response. That was well said. Well, this has been a really great conversation and uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, Dr. Scott Schur, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you, Sean. This is fun. And that's that. Nice. This episode of the OPP is also brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural open source supplements. And for me, when it's time to get some stuff done, I use the Mental Performance Stack. Uh, it features two of my most favorite nootropics of all time. One is Neurofuel. I've talked about it a thousand times. It used to be called Nil uh, Siltep. Now it's called Neurofuel. Uh, within the Mental Performance Stack, it combines Neurofuel with dopamine brain food MagTech and Smart Caffeine. Uh, if the cool part of what the, of, about what Natural Stacks does is they combine these products, these stacks, um, for a purpose. So if you want to be more productive, you want to use the Mental Performance Stack. Uh, magnesium is an essential element that we all need. Dopamine gives you a little get up and go, a little bit of mental drive, a little support in the morning to um, to just get boogie and focused. Neurofuel increases. Uh, cognition speed um, allows you to focus for longer and then of course a little bit of smart caffeine um, is pure energy and more focus with l-theanine just amazing products and i can't say enough about them um, they've obviously been a a major part of this podcast since the beginning and uh, i continue to love their products i've tried a thousand 
not a thousand. I've tried a lot of neuro of nootropics, and uh, neurofuel is my favorite. And I just like what works. It doesn't what's fancy or or what's what's like the hottest new thing. I just like what works. And for me, neurofuel works like none other. And I really love dopamine. I've I've had a little bit of lull in my productivity lately, and so uh, I've been using dopamine. I've just sort of found it again, and I'm I'm more on task. I'm more productive than ever. That's why you're getting two episodes this week. So go to naturalstacks.com and use the code OPP15 for 15% off your purchase. Thank you to Natural Stacks for the sponsorship. I later everybody see on the internet.